Welcome to Bloody Mary, a podcast about horror movies, feminism, and sexuality. I'm your host, Chicago comic Kristen Ryan, and today we have with us fellow Chicago comic Brittany Meyer. Hey, glad to be here. Yeah, glad to have you. Brittany, why don't you introduce yourself a bit? Yeah, so um, I'm a Chicago comic storyteller, arm wrestler, professional <laughs> queer. Nice. Uh, yeah, I, I arm wrestle under Stone Cold Jane Austen for the Chicago League of Lady Arm Wrestlers. That's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I run a couple shows. Uh, I think the one that I founded uh, was Strip Joker. It's a body positive stand-up comedy show where comedians undress and they do body positive or material exploring themselves throughout the show and it's a really fun time. And it is super, super fun. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Coming from Kristen who headlined it once. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> No, it was really fun. It was the most uh, like out of my comfort zone I've ever been for a performance, but mm-hmm. also like the most rewarding, I'd say. Oh, that's good. I, I love that everyone's coming away from it with a different experience. It's mm-hmm. been really rewarding for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm pumped to have you here tonight. My kitties are really into you as well. It's been very welcoming. <laughs> it's been wonderful. Shtara yeah. is constantly rubbing on your laptop. Um, mm-hmm. She will get in your personal space. It's just About it. part of the podcast. <laughs> Uh, I'm curious, uh, Brittany, what is the first horror movie you remember seeing? Well, I don't think it's technically horror, but the first movie I remember like being terrified by was Beetlejuice. Oh, yeah. And it was largely because like, I think I was five, my sister was six, and we had a babysitter all the time. And it was between Chelsea's favorite movie, my older sister, which was Beetlejuice, and my favorite movie was a musical about the Top Ten Commandments. <laughs> and... Of course, <laughs> our babysitter would always rather watch Beetlejuice. <laughs> what? So I was subjected to watching like sandworms and that banister snake and like it was terrifying mm. for me. Uh, but I always was like very shy of horror films after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I studied I studied a lot of film in high school and I never really got into horror. The only one that I really liked was The Ring, probably. That was like the one horror film I really enjoyed. But I feel like, because there was like elements of suspense to it, it was more of a mystery than anything, which mm. I really enjoyed. I don't know. Her coming out of the TV is creepy. Oh, it got creepy. Hell. But I was also like, I was able to be okay with it. Like there were so many other elements. I didn't like anything that was like too spooky, you mm-hmm. know, not about it. Um, yeah. And then I'd say like, I also, I never really got into horror much despite studying film. I think I just never looked at it as too much as a genre. And a lot of my other film friends, they liked more of the campy horror. Mm. It wasn't until I actually saw Candyman as a sophomore in high school that I was like, this was a legitimately scary movie and I'm terrified and I never watched more until I moved to Chicago. And then I think it was like my boyfriend at the time. So I never watched it in like eight years. Mm -hmm. Moved to Chicago. It was around Halloween. And he was like, we should watch a horror movie. I'm like, oh, Candyman's so scary. And then we watched Candyman and I didn't realize it took place in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And it just like set me off on a whole nother uh, terrible uh, fear tangent of just like oh my god what is cabrini green because i also live one mile away from where it is mm-hmm. where it was so uh yeah that was uh that was interesting and i'm actually really excited to talk about Candyman tonight awesome so so you kind of like touched on it briefly but i'm curious like how now as an adult you feel about horror as a genre um i still okay i'll only watch like a critically acclaimed horror film that's still like how i'll kind of be about it like i'd only watch cabin in the woods i watch baba duke like only if it's like oh no 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 please you have to come see this otherwise it's like Mm -hmm. i won't i think a large part of it too is like when i studied film i found out that uh horror is guaranteed to make a certain amount of money no matter what just because there's a built-in audience for it Mm -hmm. and ever since i kind of found that out i was never like that intrigued by it that was just kind of like well that's not what i want i don't want to just be scared i don't like feeling scared that's Mm. not a feeling i enjoy so because of that i really stray away from it uh i still watch Candyman for this podcast uh in the daytime i had to (laughs) and it was it was much more interesting having been a chicago resident for the last four and a half years Mm -hmm. and being able to see how the city has changed and also how it hasn't changed and to see how people have been like the way that cabrini green was talked about in that time is still how people talk about englewood or the south side today Mm -hmm. so it was really interesting yeah uh, so for us to talk about tonight, Brittany chose Candyman, mm-hmm. uh, which is about a graduate student compiling a thesis on urban legends. Helen Lyle becomes aware of the prevalent superstition surrounding the legend of Candyman, a hook-wielding phantom who will appear if his name is recited five times into a mirror. A senior professor, hearing of Helen's research, explains the historical basis for the legend. Detailing how Candyman is believed to be a vengeful spirit of a former slave 
who, though initially respected in academia, was set upon and mutilated by an angry mob when accused of taking a white mistress. When the clinically detached Helen flaunts her intellectual confidence by reciting Candyman's name five times, she sets in motion an inevitable series of supernatural events, culminating in a series of grisly killings, after which Hel Helen is invariably found holding the bloody murder weapon. Though she is captured by the police, it becomes evident to Helen that Candyman is guiding her fate every step of the way. Uh, so I'm curious, I know that now you're a Chicago native, um, but is that is that the whole reason you chose this film, or is there anything else that made you want to pick this film? I mean, it really was largely, like, this was the one, I mean, also having experienced it as uh, a high schooler, mm -hmm. as a brand new Chicagoan, and then also now, I just, like, definitely felt myself change throughout the way that I experienced it. And also, as soon as I started playing the movie... I think that's when it really hit me all over again, how different it was from other horror movies of the 80s and 90s, because it opened in that similar way of like, oh, these white kids, they were being interviewed in the suburbs and about like, they said Candyman five times in the mirror when they were cheating on their boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And then, <laughs> but when it really came down to the plot of the movie, it was an inner city, like, horror movie, which is something that I've never seen before mm -hmm. and also never really experienced. So uh, I found that more interesting and also, yeah, to dive into like knowing like, oh, these are my places or this is something like I can absolutely relate to being a Chicago resident now. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, me too. Because uh, when I first saw this movie, I was living in Green Bay and I think I was like 12 years old or something. Mm -hmm. And now rewatching it, I was just shocked because as an adult, as a union organizer, like I worked in Cabrini Green with some people before it was completely torn down in 2011. And now I work on the UIC campus, um, which has been completely remodeled since this shooting of the film. Uh, but it did feel really weird and like, a, this is your life. Yeah. <laughs> what were you doing in Cabrini Green? Uh, I was working with some people who were living there. We were trying to organize a union at Rainbow Apparel. So I would stop in and talk with them. Oh, man. I have um, so many questions for you when we get into it. But this is great. Yeah, it was definitely, you know, like um, I was that white lady wandering around Cabrini Green, <laughs> which like my favorite scene in the movie is like when she's there with Bernadette and she's like, don't worry, Bernadette, they think we're cops. <laughs> like We're fine. That's the last thing you want people <laughs> to think, Helen. <laughs> Idiot. <laughs> I did wonder how much research actually went into Cabrini Green for this actual film because the you mentioned just before we started recording, like maybe we get into that a little bit, mm -hmm. but it's based on the Clive Barker story and the director is British. He mm -hmm. chose to set it in Cabrini Green in Chicago. Mm -hmm. But even when I kind of like been reading like a little bit about it, it's like, oh, well, there's like certain themes in a story and there's certain characters and then you kind of, you can adapt it to anything mm -hmm. in theory. But how did you feel like it translated to Cabrini Green? Um, from my experience, it was, I mean, it was silly watching Helen, the graduate student, like fumble around and like try to befriend people. But like the idea, they did get a few things right. And that's like that it is a community that looks out for itself. And like when you show up, people want to know who you are. And like some of the, even like this isn't even just for housing projects, but for like some neighborhoods that I would go to, uh, you know, to like meet with workers and talk to them. I am a stranger coming to them because one of their coworkers gave me their address. So it's kind of like in the beginning stages of union organizing, there's this like, who are you? Who sent you? I don't know if I want to talk to you. Do I trust you? Um, so like when I would go to some doors, you know, I'd be this white lady in the neighborhood and they'd be like, hmm, I don't know. But by the time I would get to it, like the third person's door, everyone would have called each other and been like, oh, she's Kristen. She's with the union. She's cool. And uh, so like when I would come to the next door, they'd already know who I was. So wow. like there's this communication network that is like really tight. Huh. Do you feel like they, I mean, honestly, out of the residents we actually saw, I feel like we maybe met like we met three people mm -hmm. total. And then maybe there was like 10 extras, if that, that were reused. Oh, yeah. I mean, that doesn't, I didn't feel like that. Well, in what research I kind of did, I didn't feel like that necessarily reflected the neighborhood or the like project. But did, would you say that was accurate? Of just like, there's like a few people outside, they were fucking around. And then, I mean, they were also the same people that were actually in the bathroom scene. I, I don't think, yeah. I mean, that was probably just them being cheap on extras. Oh, okay. <laughs> 
was just curious about that because yeah. everything else I've ever read and saw like all of this footage if you go to mediaburn.org it was like a really great independent website for like uh, independent footage and they just had all these great interviews of Cabrini Green and all these different residents and it just seemed like such a vibrant community yeah well they did they started tearing it down like I want to say in 98 maybe okay so like it was probably a lot more thriving than my time there my time there was like oh. 2009 okay and it was completely torn down in 2011 mm-hmm. so probably a lot fewer people yeah that's yeah and now it's just disgusting because uh i don't know if you've been over there a new city oh yeah they're target (laughs) yeah and a huge arc light cinema and uh Mm. it's real gross and uncomfortable but like that's kind of chicago's legacy they do that Um, i was in an uber pool with some dude that was like a real estate agent and i think he was actually getting dropped off over there like this must have been like four weeks ago or so and he was like definitely on coke but he was mm-hmm. almost having like one of those monologues that you would like read in a play where he was almost more talking to himself. Whereas it's like, yeah, I bought up that property as soon as like Cabrini Green was going down. I bought that up. I knew it'd be something. Man, did it become something. And just like kept like going on to himself about it. But it was it's really insane what mm-hmm. it has become. But it also makes I mean, so sad to know that it was like bound to happen between it being sandwiched between the Gold Coast, West Loop that everything around it oh and Lincoln Park like right up there it's just like really coming in on that area yeah and you know what's really like making this thrive in the city as I think is train access Mm -hmm. like any neighborhood with train access is just getting bought up like crazy like all those monstrosities they're building along the blue line oh god yeah 20 foot not 20 foot like 20 stories blue glass plated it just looks disgusting yeah there's a couple right outside my apartment right now yeah, actually, the the person, the woman I had on the podcast before, uh, Ariel Atkins and I, we were talking about how great it would be if Candyman came back. <laughs> I was thinking about that so hard. It was like, how great would it be if it just haunted the new city? Like that would be so amazing. Ah. Take care of all those yuppies. Yes, making our rents go up. <laughs> Uh, I also, I felt like saying the name five times just felt excessively a long. It was a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, it was like you really had to make a decision to a point that I was like, well, I guess can you really feel bad if he did appear? Because it's like, <laughs> you're really tempting something. Yeah. Oh, so the actual original Candyman myth, um, I was mm-hmm. talking with Brittany before we started recording because I was researching at work just because so much of this happened near my work, uh, the original murder was from the Abbott Housing Project, which is at Roosevelt and Loomis, a little bit southwest of Cabrini Green. And there was actually a murder there in which a man went through the structural hole in the bathroom mirror, like the old-timey metal ones that just pop out, just like in the movie. And the woman who started screaming and calling the police on the phone said, he's coming through the mirror, he came through the mirror, So they thought she was crazy, and no one went and checked on her for two days after she had been murdered. Uh, So it's pretty crazy that it's, like, based on this real event. Yeah, I didn't... I walked into this room, and you told me that. I was just like, oh, man, it was way easier, because I started reading the Clive Barker story, and I was like, yeah, okay, like, that's fine. But to know that it's, like, even more so, like... Oh, yeah, it's definitely rooted in Chicago this way. It's very different to me now. Yeah, the murder happened in 1987. And she actually, they, um, the woman who Helen meets, who has the baby, has the same last name as, mm-hmm. um, as the original murder victim. And that was probably like paying homage to her. It's uh, Ruthie, Ruthie Mae McCoy was the woman who was murdered mm-hmm. at 52 years old. And do you remember the first name? Anne Marie was Anne Marie McCoy. And yeah, I think it was Baby Jeffrey. Oh yeah, Baby Jeffrey, who was the best baby I may have ever seen in a movie ever. I know, so cute. The cutest. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, this movie was problematic in so many ways. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I guess you know. First off, for me, right off the bat, was the othering of poor people that was happening. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I see that a lot in horror movies, actually, is this idea, I call it poverty porn, like people use Detroit as a backdrop or uh, things like that. And I think specifically 
this movie had potential to do something really great for the time frame because early 90s not a lot of people knew what project life was like uh, but i think it kind of fell flat of that <laughs> yeah they i mean but even thinking about like who they chose to profile like as actual project people like i mean Anne marie who was just like a good hard-working woman who happened to like live there and of course mm-hmm. this horrible tragedy had to happen because she came in contact with Helen, mm-hmm. essentially. Her life had to get turned upside down. But it's like the other person we met was the one of the custodians at the university. She was one of the other people that lived there. Mm-hmm. Also, like, that's all we get from her is that she knows some information and that's all she's going to say and she's just a custodian. Yeah, it felt like the women of color didn't get to be real full-fledged characters. They were just there to move Helen's plot along. Yeah. And that felt kind of insulting. Mm-hmm. Except well, there was Jake, who I call the 40-year-old, 8-year-old. Um, he, like, provided so much support for Helen. And, uh, like, you know, even, like, after she got attacked in that bathroom scene was a point of rescue for her. He, it, it felt weird to me because he was a child. And, like, his character was so stoic and mature and, like, taking care of things and aware of so much. Yeah, I think it was also largely just like growing up in a community like that. You kind of got to grow up quickly. Mm-hmm. Maybe that was part of it. Yeah, I feel like they were really hammering that in. Yeah, like, they really got that across. Right? Yeah. Um, but also, it was like, I mean, from what I've kind of heard about, like, the community is like, also very true, like what you said, is like, you kind of know everything that's going on. Like, you kind of are in the mix of it at all points. So I think the fact that he was so involved and was just on top of, like, what was going on mm-hmm. was almost rang true in one aspect And it was kind of, I guess, you know, maybe it wasn't so awful in the fact that you had Jake, this kid, who was more street smart and knew more than Helen about this life and took care of her and kind of tried to guide her. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's not as bad. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, Helen. Um, I don't know how I feel about Helen. Like, I like parts of her. Yeah. I... I felt really conflicted about her because on Mm -hmm. one hand, I liked that she was an intelligent grad student. She was going out of her way in a little in a weird way. There was like a little bit of hubris because I couldn't quite figure out like what gave her this like what her credentials were. Yeah. But it's like when she was sitting at the dinner with that like Thomas Edison looking (laughs) like (laughs) professor dude. Yeah. And she just like only chimes in. We're going to blow you out of the water. And it's just like (laughs) for what? Like with what research? Like I don't understand. But otherwise, I mean, we knew her her husband was also is a professor Mm -hmm. other than that. Um, And they travel together. They have a beautiful life, it seemed like. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was uh, so I work for the union that represents graduate employees at UIC, which like Helen would have been a part of. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was at our steering committee meeting, which is various graduate students. And um, they, I was talking about this movie, like, oh my god, it's on the USC campus, and it's graduate students, and everyone's like, whoa, that's awesome. What is she? Uh, what's her department? And I was like, urban, <laughs> urban legends, and then everyone started laughing. <laughs> like, yeah, women are fiercely uh, not represented in urban legends. You know, was that really her like department? Yeah. So wait. <laughs> You know, so it's probably like a subset of sociology or something, okay. but like they referenced it a couple times in the film, like okay. <laughs> urban legend studies. Because it like, was like, also, why couldn't her husband have waited like just a couple more weeks for her to have done that topic? Like they were just, oh man, fucking Trevor. I Yeah, that guy sucked. I hated Trevor on so many levels. He was, they. I think, you know, the film wanted you to hate him right from the get-go. Oh yeah, they wanted that. Um, You know, like he had the sleazy stereotype going on of him being... uh, with the undergrad the sexy young blonde undergrad Mm -hmm. and um yeah i i actually i was kind of wondering and i'm wondering what you think of this as well if Candyman was actually even real or was helen unraveling and escaping her shitty marriage man so a lot of different thoughts here so honestly, it didn't even really cross my mind until you mentioned that question to me, if it was in Helen's head or maybe if it was just a marriage thing. Mm-hmm. Because I guess it it just seems so realistic to me that nobody believes women. Exactly. That I was just kind of like, well, let, there's got to be a way. And I tried to think about it in like every other way. The only thing that I couldn't justify in that plot idea was 
Because everything else, I'm like, all right. Like, I was on board when they were at the mental hospital and they're watching the video and you don't see Candyman. And even I'm just kind of like, well, maybe he's, like, ghosty and, like, he's just, like, you don't see him on film. Mm-hmm. But it was, like, only when she was strapped in and then Candyman, like, attacked the doctor. And then mm-hmm. I was just kind of like, well, this just blows this theory wide open. Like, I, <laughs> I, I was just like, I couldn't believe that. But um, I think a couple of things I found really interesting. Well... I kind of felt like maybe this was more of like a destiny for Helen mm-hmm. more so like all along that it was, uh, hell, it was even his quote. It was always you, Helen. Mm-hmm. And like on top of that and like the painting, the painting, everything, yeah. which I'm going to be honest, like, um, my dumb, dumb Florida brain that mm-hmm. when I saw the painting of Helen and I was like, wow, that looks just like Virginia Madsen. And it didn't like hit me. I was like, oh, they cast her and then they painted it. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> Didn't occur to me at all. <laughs> this happens to me all the time. Um, uh, yeah, that's so, I, great. <laughs> so that was one thing that was just kind of like, okay, it kind of was like, maybe that's why Helen went into studying myths. And this is why she also went down there. And like, it all just kind of came back to like, mm-hmm. it was supposed to happen. Yeah. That that's what I came to. Um, I had an interesting idea, which maybe we can even get into a little bit later. Oh, yeah. But it kind of seemed like Candyman was more of like an an allegory of gang violence. Like mm. he was almost more of a synecdoche of the idea of gang violence. Let's see. So yeah, I guess the way I kind of thought about it is like gangs are kind of a way of like a grasp of power. Like it's kind of, if you don't have any control over your environment, and it's a kind of way to go off the grid and kind of take that back and reclaim like what is going on with you, your family, your friends, whatever that may be that it kind of seemed like a way to live outside the system and make it work. And when Helen kind of eventually loses everything between like her best friend, her research, her husband, her home, and has multiple murders pinned on her, mm-hmm. that she really didn't have like anything left. Like she was oddly at a point that she almost could be turned over to this idea and like give herself into this, what Candyman was of this, like if I was talking about the idea, the synecdoche of gang violence, but I guess the way I also kind of felt about that is that everything with Candyman was so out of everybody's hands. Like everybody was just acting like it was like, oh yeah, that was Candyman. Nothing we can do about it. Mm -hmm. But it was also how people feel about gangs largely today. That's just Mm -hmm. like, what else can we do? This is just what's going on right now. Mm -hmm. And also it almost seems like it's easier to kind of pin all of this on this myth opposed to accepting that it's like, oh yeah, we called the police three times and they didn't show up. So you know, they just don't care about us. It's also like, well, at least it was a mythical creature and it's not like somebody else is out there. And this is like, it, it just seemed to me like that was a plausible theory that. Well, it's interesting that you bring up this metaphor because I actually thought Candyman was a metaphor as well, but more for like white America that doesn't understand project life. There is this, um, they don't understand. They don't know the story. They don't know what that everyday life is like. But they hear the stories, right? They hear the rumors. They hear, oh, I heard this happened in Chicago. Oh, like, yeah. I remember growing up in Green Bay, and it was all like, oh, I heard in Chicago this happened and that happened. And it was like this fear that you don't you don't go down to the big city, you know? It's mm. terrifying. Yeah, even when I moved to Chicago, I thought it was interesting because I was, like, nervous. Like, the murder capital of the the U.S. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't until I was here and people were like, oh, no, it's fine as long as you don't go to the south side. But even still, I think it was the idea of, like, the lack of knowledge ended up creating more mystery, which is also in Cabrini Green, there was so little reported because, Mm -hmm. again, police wouldn't show up and then it wouldn't be documented that it almost turned into more stories and that this kind of idea and this urban myth could kind of come out of that. Because anything could have happened there, in theory. Oh, exactly. And Candyman even makes reference to that himself. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, you know, there's so many times where he tells um, Helen, you know, like, believe in me, be my victim, come with me and be immortal. Mm-hmm. You know, like, he knows that he feeds off the fear of others. And he refers to, like, the people who fear him a lot as his congregation. Mm-hmm. And that struck me as odd. Too. Yeah, I think that's also what I was thinking as far as like that gang mentality is like your your disbelief destroys the faith of my congregation. Without them, I am nothing. Yeah. So I was obliged to come. Your death will be a tale to frighten children. 
that it also kind of seemed like, I mean, what are gangs if you're not afraid of them? Mm-hmm. Like, if you're not actually being terrible, like, if you're not spreading these rumors or it's not being said. That, oh, exactly. And that's yeah. how gangs thrive and maintain their territory. Exactly. So people being afraid to fuck with. Yeah, I guess in a way, I think that's also part of the reason why the director said he chose Chicago was because of Cabrini Green and the lack of information around it. Mm-hmm. It also seemed like, I mean, it does make sense. But I, again, we feel this way. I mean, largely, I've worked in the South Side occasionally for like certain like set designs or church like churches I'd work for. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going down to Beverly. I don't know anything about it. And they're like, oh, Beverly's fine. Like everybody would be like, oh, yeah, it's just Englewood. It'd just be Lawndale or certain places like that. But to an extent, it kind of at least brought the whole, like, you're fine if you don't go to the South Side. And then oh, it's like, yeah. you're fine if you don't go to Englewood, or you're fine if you don't go here. But these are also still, they're both vibrant communities. Oh, yeah. And that always irritates me. Like, Chicagoans have such a stupid idea of, like, what safe means. And oftentimes you find that once you peel back that definition, you find a lot of bigoted racist bullshit. <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. I frequently worked in Englewood, South Shore, the Southeast, um, Roseland. I've never had a fucking problem. Although it is adorable. When I first moved here, I thought Pilsen was like, ooh, that's so far south. <laughs> like, oh, no. 18th Street. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> How did you feel about Helen as a character? Because we only got like partway through my idea. Yeah. I mean, I... I did not dislike Helen, but there were a lot of things I wasn't super thrilled about. Like, she just, she had such a, um, you know, she was passionate about her work, and I just, I couldn't understand why that was, (laughs) like, why that mattered so much to her. Like, studying urban legends, it's, (laughs) it's not like you're curing cancer or, like, actually doing something meaningful for these people in Cabrini Green who are harassing. What did she think she was going to, like, cure? Like, now, in retrospect, it was like... Yeah, in theory, like the way that her and Bernadette were acting when they were going there, that they were putting their lives on the line for this thesis. (laughs) It was like, for what? So (laughs) it's true. Yeah. To um, get published, perhaps. Yeah. And then she was so condescending and aggressive about it with the other people in academia, which like, I get that there is like a a sense of... um, you know, she's a young up-and-comer who wants to prove herself, but calm down. Like... <laughs> it just felt like she wasn't aware of the world around her. Like, in her own relationships. And, like, also in the parking garage, like, that scene with Candyman, where she's like, who is that? Who yeah, is over was... there? Like, get in your car and get the fuck out of there. Yeah, like... for any situation. But she was like, excuse me, but who are you? <laughs> yeah. It's just like, you just have these photo net Like, oh, my God. It, it, yeah, I, I agree. Um, I don't know, but I feel like, isn't that the same naivete that kind of goes into every star of any horror film? Mm, I wouldn't think so. Because, uh, like, I... I love a lot of horror movies where the main character is a woman and like I always refer specifically to like women like you're next Erin in that movie like she's a survivalist badass who's gonna kill anyone who fucks with her Mm. um I think that is like a it's like a predominant stereotype in horror though that like oh my god I broke a heel and I gotta go walk through the woods and oh now I'm dead the relationship with her husband though I ugh I can't get over how much I hated Trevor. Like, for as much as I was, like, indifferent on Helen, I hate Trevor. (laughs) He's such a dick. And the fact that, like, he couldn't even wait until her case was, like, cleared up and she was actually found guilty to, like... To start moving in with Stacy. Yeah, and have Stacy painted all pink. (laughs) Oh, man. That was also something really great about it that was just, like... Oh, that was one of my favorite scenes. That's a good scene. Oh, well, first of all, like... Painting it, like, this nubile pink, like, already strike one. But, like, mm-hmm. two, when, like, she turns around and sees Helen and goes just, like, completely weak. Mm-hmm. And she cries out for Trevor. And Trevor's like, oh, did someone get a boo-boo? Another boo It was just like, <laughs> are you serious? Yeah. But, yeah, I think it also goes into, like, I mean, we talked briefly. The idea that it was, like, Helen was, like, this grad student. And she was, like, kind of starting to make a name for herself. And when she gets this thesis out, like, I mean, it seemed like she was going to be more respected the same way Trevor kind of was. And that was seeming less and less appealing to him. Oh, yeah. She was going to be an equal. Oh, yeah. Which also makes me wonder if they met the same way he met Stacy. Oh, I totally thought that. Mm -hmm. I thought for sure. Yeah. That's how that went down. Because she was probably a young, blonde, pretty thing. Oh, for Drew Depp. And then she 
went into grad school and cut her hair short and got <laughs> attitude. <laughs> Started thinking she was an equal. And Trevor wasn't having that. No longer interesting. I also thought that was just such a great contrast, too. I mean, besides the fact the apartment before was, it was pretty much just white. Mm-hmm. But still, the fact it was like, uh, Helen was putting herself, like, that was part of, like, her whole graduate thing, was, like, to go into these areas and was photographing graffiti. And that was even a large part of the short story. And then it was just, like, everything was just kind of, like, washed over in this, like, color of pink, which just, mm-hmm. oh, so good when I thought about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a great metaphor for like Trevor trying to just have this like this Gold Coast illusion of life <laughs> that was just <laughs> out of here. Yeah, it wasn't like yeah because I did live in Gold Coast. I also did. You feel a lot of uh, kind of an analog between Helen and Jane Byrne. There was like a little bit of like this white woman savior complex of like kind of coming in there. Oh, a bit. oh God, yeah. Especially, like, well, the first character, the mom character that they meet in Cabrini Green, like, I liked her a lot um, because she was, like, you know, she had, she was not, like, so often in film, like, when a white woman goes into a community of color, it's supposed to be, like you said, you know, the great white hope and, oh, my God, we love you. Oh, thank you for coming and talking to us. But, you know, but she's like, what are you doing here? Who are you? Yeah, <laughs> not having it. I don't have time for this shit. <laughs> And, um, you know, she's actually, like, questioning and standoffish of her, which I respected a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, But that went away pretty quick. (laughs) (laughs) I did love, I mean, like, even just hearing her talk about this, she's just kind of like, no, I'm trying my damnedest to make, like, a good life here. And, like, Mm -hmm. she has this badass dog, and she's just, like, I mean, in her work clothes, she's made a amazing home out of that apartment mm-hmm. that she had it was just like no she's genuinely trying i was like i was rooting for Marie the most that was mm-hmm. just like she is crushing her life she's doing everything she can mm-hmm. and there's like helen just waltzing in there just like trying to get some information and rah. oh my favorite is when Marie was like kind of like at, like accusing them of trespassing and mm-hmm. helen and bernadette were like we're doing a thesis i <laughs> know <laughs> oh, you're still trespassing <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, actually, like, that was my experience in visiting the women I worked with in Cabrini Green as well. It was like, you know, it was, um, oftentimes I would be escorted, like, from my car to their apartment and, uh, you know, when I left as well. And that happened at Englewood. We had some meetings at a funeral home and one of the women's, uh, she would have her sons walk me, like, to and from my car and things like that. But yeah, I guess because the structures are so barren from the outside, you know, it's like concrete walls and like most of the stairways just had fences on the outside. There was Mm -hmm. no outer wall. So like it's hard to think like for people who haven't experienced it, that a loving home is happening inside those walls. These women, it was. Yeah. I also thought it was interesting, though, for the um, the buildings. I did look it up. There was like Epstein and Sons. And they they also designed the Hyatt Regency downtown. Mm. They look pretty similar. Really? <laughs> uh, similar <laughs> no, just like the fact that they focus so much on this like awful, like terrible brick facades. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, I mean, short of having just fencing all, instead of a balcony mm-hmm. or whatever like that. But yeah, Chicago, I don't know, the history has been pretty neat. Also, this was something that I thought was interesting as as the way that they translated the story from it being like a British story into Cabrini Green. There's like when they talked about Candyman's history, which also, Helen, how did you not know? Like, how did she? It just bothers me so much that she didn't go through that step to like learn about the background of Candyman. Mm -hmm. Like, it just felt like such a basic thing and just such an easy way for that professor to have a gotcha moment. Yeah. That really bothered me. And also would have cleared out probably a lot for her to have known like, oh, Really? This woman that looks so much like me? This was... <laughs> huh. How interesting. Yeah, you would think, too, because, like, this is her main area of study. Like, Yeah, you think you would have covered all the bases here, but... Yeah, especially the backstory. Yeah, and it, it seemed like they didn't cover... Because it was, like... It would be one thing if, like, they covered all the backstory, and then it was, like, all right, let's take it to Cabrini, and let's get in there. But mm-hmm. it was, like, otherwise they were just interviewing the white kids from the suburbs, and that was, like translating those like i've got to transcribe what todd from naperville said (laughs) just gotta get that hot take (laughs) yep yeah it did feel really silly in some parts especially now that i work so closely in the world of academia and it's just like oh yeah this is (laughs) this is real silly yeah 
I <laughs> I think that was also when I was doing that research about like what was going on in that part of Chicago at that time because it was like mm-hmm. the Gold Coast has always been super fancy and nice like always that's been just like most of the things on the lakeshore but that part that particular part of Chicago where Cabrini Green was it only became the Cabrini Green we knew in the 1940s that's when they started turning into housing projects which mostly housed Italians and like black people as well and mm. black families but before that, it was, I think it was called Little Hell. Oh, and it was like there, man. The, yeah, it was mostly <laughs> Italian Sicilians that kind of lived in that area. I think some Swedish people as well. But it lived really close to these like gas mining kind of areas or coal mine, like something like that. So it was like prone to fires and stuff like and bad smells. That makes so much sense. Yeah. Now, uh, Chicago is very prone to environmental racism. You have the plants down in Pilsen and Little Village and uh in the southeast neighborhood as well the steel mills used to be there and now you're seeing uh since the steel mill mill closed and like there's a new development happening there that's going to be four times the size of the loop with housing research facilities retail and now those people are getting pushed out of that neighborhood in the southeast um so Yeah, there's definitely a correlation there between like, oh, this land will give you cancer and oh, put projects there, put yeah. poor people there. <laughs> that definitely adds up. Mm-hmm. The thing that I couldn't understand is like maybe how Candyman's ashes were chosen to be there of all places. That was the one thing that I was like only going through the story because I'm like, it kind of makes sense. And we should definitely, I mean, talking about just like class and race and all of this, that it was like Candyman was like truly in the 1890s overcome a lot to be educated, accepted by what they refer to as polite society, was an accomplished painter, mm-hmm. had an affair with a white woman and she got pregnant. And then like that was it. Like he was mm-hmm. a horrible, horrible murderous death. And then his ashes were scattered in that area, which I think that kind of largely lends to any type of like ghostly kind of apparition, like kind of mythical creature. It kind of comes out of a insane injustice or mm-hmm. some, something like that. So that definitely made sense to me. Part And I did kind of get that it was like, if the Gold Coast has always been that nice, that it's like, yeah, maybe that's where they were living. But then I couldn't understand. I mean, unless it was just convenient. It was like, yeah, it was like a couple blocks away. Let's go over to Little Hell and scatter these ashes or something yeah it was probably just a, a, a convenient for the story i'm Must assuming <laughs> yes that was about it just with the projects coming so much later that was just one thing mm-hmm. that was just like having been a tour guide too that i'm just like how did this come together oh what were you tour guide on? oh i did the architecture boat tours oh cool yeah so putting this together oh uh, yeah so that is the other like glaring theme in this movie is just the hot interracial tension between Candyman and helen which is mm-hmm. representative of their legacy together in the past but also um before you find out that helen is you know the maybe reincarnation of his mistress it felt a little racy <laughs> it definitely did i think largely like damn tony todd he is <laughs> rocking all that machismo. Like, he was just, yeah, he was very sultry. There was also something so, like, I mean, honestly, just, like, even the hook for a hand thing. Mm-hmm. That was, like, and the term, like, from your groin to your gullet. Oh, that yeah. was, like, and, like, from that being said in the very beginning of the movie, that's never left my mind of just, like, that image has been so terrifying. And then also when you saw, like, the hook by her hospital gown and yes. stuff like that, that was just like, damn! Like, I remember watching that when I was 12 and being like, oh, God, Candyman's <laughs> <laughs> But then there's, okay, so the scene where the hook is very near the bottom of her hospital gown, mm. and it's hot, and then it's like, they're gonna kiss, but then he's all full of bees. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, that was in the hospital? In the hospital? No, it yeah. was, uh, she was, she was, she had the, like, little blue nurse's dress on, and she was Oh, when she was the in the pro- attic or yeah. whatever area? Yeah. 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 And, like, they're gonna get down, and then... She like opens his jacket and it's full of bees bees. and it's like terrifying. How are you going to fuck with all those bees? So so this was also crazy that I found out Virginia Madsen is allergic to bees. Oh no. And there was no CGI in this movie. Oh my God. So they actually had an ambulance on set that was like there, which is like, how does she not take that? Like, how does she take that role? I wouldn't have at all. I would not have agreed to that. That's crazy. So I also heard that they had, okay, two, two alleged things. Like it kind of like, it's almost like too crazy to me, but maybe mm-hmm. that they had like younger bees because I guess like if they're 18 <laughs> like they're certain mo- hours old then they're not going like their stingers aren't super developed and they, they're less prone to sing- singing you huh but it's like she literally had bees crawling on her yeah so Ugh. other other part of this is that allegedly she was hypnotized 
for a couple of those scenes just to probably calm her. Whoa. Or, yeah, allegedly. Yeah, why the fuck would you take that role? Like, especially when they're just like, sorry, no deal breaker. Like, deal breaker, we have to have real bees. Like, yeah. we can't we can't do this without real bees. Huh. Yeah. Crazy. I saw that. Yeah, that was a little too far. Like, I would definitely turn down a job for that. Yeah. Well, it speaks to her. She's great. Oh, yeah. She she did a great job with this movie. Mm-hmm. I love, 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 love that she becomes the Candyman figure. You know, like, in the final scene, ends up being called by trevor that's also what makes me hope that there is i didn't watch any of the sequels but i think i'm pitching it right now to you Mm -hmm. she really should just haunt like shithead professors and grad (laughs) students and just like (laughs) totally should because i think that was the other thing too is that it was like i mean the reason why he calls to her too is like he misses her like or Mm -hmm. he's like i mean the memory of her is so vivid and he was witness to all of this tragedy that was going on which who else? Because, like, the other person at the funeral, it was Stacy and then the jackass professor. Mm-hmm. But it was, like, I'm trying to think of, like, who else maybe that would, like, live on with. I guess Stacy is now, like, the one that would be carrying on the story of mm-hmm. Helen. Did you watch the sequels? I did not. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. A lot of you speculation. Know, I think I did see the one set in New Orleans, but I didn't like it. Oh. Um, yeah. So nothing too compelling there. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, I love the idea that Helen will attack like sexist old professors trying to prey on undergrads. Oh, how great. Yeah. I'm all about this sequel. <laughs> Get out I'm there and settle it. the score, Helen. Yeah. <laughs> I love the line though. She says, she's like, what's the matter, Trevor? Scared of something? And I'm like, mm. oh, it's such a good line. Because he yes. is. He's yes. terrified. The community trash pile was really exciting to me. Like that big trash ending. Because I mean... Helen became, I guess, like, undead with, like, Candyman. Like, Mm -hmm. gave her the bees and everything like that. So, was the point of them burning together just supposed to be them going into an afterlife? Like, escaping this realm or something? Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, I'm not sure. I feel like it was there explicitly for Helen to prove her innocence and show how selfless she was Uh by saving that baby and proving to the community. I'm not sure, but that's a good analogy. Yeah, I was trying to just figure because I mean it was you know got baby Dre- Jeffrey out of there whatever mm-hmm. it took she still died of course, um, I did think that was also great leading up to that funeral scene too though because it was so beautiful when you saw that like long line of people that came like again couldn't mm-hmm. even see the back of it yeah and they dropped in like the hook the real hook yeah into the coffin and it was in front of again like only the academics like only Trevor Stacy the douche guy and it was like everything that they just talked about. She managed to actually do something about it and allegedly set this community free, which is why they were there to pay their respects. Oh, that's a really big statement. I was like, I had a big day today when I was just like, oh, man. (laughs) That's so huge. And like, you know, that's such a criticism of the world of academia that, you know, it's ivory tower and nothing gets done. But Helen sacrificed herself to like elevate this community or free them of this terror. Mm. Ooh, yeah. yeah, I was just Damn. making a lot of mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was like one of the things I was thinking about. Also, just in relative to like that gang violence is like, I mean, we could talk all day about what's actually happening down mm-hmm. there, but actually getting in there, like doing something about it was what's actually going to make a difference, change things. Like, Man, I was too hard on Helen. <laughs> <laughs> it took me a while to like, be, like come around to her. Mm-hmm. But when I started like thinking about it in this way that I was just like, okay, all right, I'm, I'm coming. I'm coming to her team. Yeah. No, in that way, you know, she was a beautiful legend. Yeah, she was almost, like, canonized at that moment. So mm-hmm. That was really nice. Definitely, like, the line so long you couldn't even see the end of it. I thought it was also, like, the first time, I mean, just thinking about the Cabrini Green community. Like, that's when they all turned up. It was also the fire to actually, like, stop Candyman. That they were, like, all about it. Like, they didn't want this. Mm-hmm. Which I also kind of feel, like again, like, gang violence, that it is, like, a very small part of it. But it affects everyone, and it's just so cancerous in these communities that it's like, it's not like they want, like, they're trying to survive, they're trying to live, and they have this, like, slight opportunity they're trying to seize, and when these things come in there, and it's just, like, so unfortunate to know, Mm -hmm. like, oh, man, yeah, I've I've been feeling all sorts of ways today. Mm -hmm. Well, plus it's also symbolic of them, like, taking it upon themselves to end it. You actually watch a lot of horror movies. Was there anything that actually freaked you out? For me, I guess, like, a lot of the scenery and walking around Cabrini in the abandoned places, like, urban um, decay 
always kind of unnerves me a little bit. Mm. Like I worked in Gary, Indiana for quite a while. It unnerves me, but I'm drawn to it as well. Like there's something about it that's just like, especially Gary, Indiana, because they're like uh, state building and their city hall are absolutely gorgeous like with marble statues and like you could tell that the city at that point had so much money and then like a rest around the rest of the city is so much just like houses decaying and people in Gary have to pay to have their garbage picked up so they put it in abandoned houses so then you don't have to pay for it to be picked up so a lot of that a lot of rats and it's, um, I don't know exactly how to describe it, but it makes me feel sad that it happened, but also excited about the possibility of rebirth and creating something new from that, I guess. Because mm-hmm. to me, it's like, it looks a lot like traditional capitalism is not working, and now maybe we can start to like actually admit that. I like that that's the level of what scares you in a horror film now. <laughs> traditional capitalism isn't working (laughs) so i was like i was scared when his hook came through the mirror (laughs) great answer that's amazing um but yeah the hook through the mirror is scary too (laughs) that got me (laughs) yeah and i guess like a little bit of it was so much of like seeing the surroundings i see every day in mm-hmm. this film, like, you could see University Hall in a lot of shots when they were on campus, and it was just like, ooh, that's, ooh, that, I see that every day out my window. Yeah, when they go over the Chicago, because, like, they have the beautiful tracking shot in the beginning of, like, 290, mm-hmm. but it's like they go through, like, over the Chicago post office, and that's, like, on my architecture boat tour, and mm-hmm. I'm just like, I know so much about that built. Like, that's what really, like, suddenly I was like, I understand Chicago. Like, I actually get this city. Mm-hmm. And then, like, having it set here. So it was like, of course, it was in a different time period, and I'll course a different era of chicago when cabrini green was around Mm -hmm. but that's what like it really got real to me that i was just kind of like wow this really is where i'm living this Mm -hmm. is it so yeah also the scene where baby jeffrey is alone and like oh baby alone in a weird attic with candles like (laughs) (laughs) and you see him like was he suck no he didn't suckle the hook okay no no he suckled his finger yeah but oh man that baby that was a perfect baby i can't get over him um, I felt for that baby. Also, it was like, yeah, the dog died. I wasn't as disturbed oh, as I normally yeah. am when the dog dies. It was, but it was gruesome what they did with that. That was crazy. Um, uh, and it definitely, cause I had to kind of like give into myself a little bit where I'm like, okay, come on. She was passed out for hours at this point. Like she mm-hmm. could have done this stuff or it easily could have been pinned on. Like it, it checks out the theory that it could have been in her head. Yeah, well, also just the the disorientation that you felt as the viewer and like you would like that scene, you don't know where she was before or why she's there and why is the dog dead, you know? Yeah, and it was like hours later too because when they were talking in the police report, Anne-Marie came home at like 10 o'clock or something mm-hmm. and she was at daylight in that parking garage. Yeah. So it was just like, yeah, she. it's been hours, close to probably to like five or six. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and that scared me too, especially as a person who's had a lot of head injuries. Like I've had nine <laughs> concussions. So, like, sometimes I'm very familiar with, like, um, the feeling of going unconscious. And then I will do things and not know I'm doing them. Like, when I was younger, I rode my bike to the park, hit my head really hard, and then was walking around the park. I don't remember any of that. And, like, finally my aunt... Well, you know what happens a lot of the time is people think I'm being purposely argumentative. So, like, numerous times when I've had concussions, people have gotten mad at me. And, like, not realize, like, I'm fucking out of my head. And they, like, end up walking away from me, like, fuck you, Kristen. (laughs) I came to once on a chairlift after I'd been in a snowboarding accident. And I just started screaming because I was, like, 300 feet, or not 300, but, like, 100 feet in the air. And just, like, where am I? And my friend was, like, you've been being a bitch all day. Like, I don't remember anything. And I just started crying. And she's like, oh, my God, is that why you were calling me Stephanie, the wrong name all day? And I was like, yes. (laughs) So, yeah, um, that shit's scary. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. Never murdered anyone, though. Okay. Well, that was going to be my follow up. Like, but like, also, are you sure, though? I've murdered people. (laughs) doesn't count if you don't remember it (laughs) just kidding 
Oh, that was also my favorite, the other favorite, back to like the apartment painting scene when she goes to hand the phone to Stacy. <laughs> and she is just so, like, it was just like the side of Helen we haven't seen yeah. yet. Yeah. And it was so good. Yeah, you know what? And like, maybe that's a great metaphor too in that like, okay, so granted her and Candyman don't have a healthy relationship, but obviously he loves her. And so maybe... So you see where this goes. <laughs> Maybe that uh, relationship helped her find agency for herself to stand up to people like Trevor and Stacy. Mm. Or, you know, she's just like on the very fucking edge of everything and doesn't give a fuck anymore. Yeah. Do you think it was that she gained the confidence or she had nothing left to lose? Oh, yeah. Probably nothing left to lose. Because I'm No, trying- they're in love. <laughs> and- <laughs> she finally found true love with a dead man full of bees. And now she can advocate for herself. <laughs> Ladies out there, you just got to find you a dead man full of bees. That's all it takes. <laughs> I'm really good at relationship advice. Uh, not to brag. I like the idea of you offering relationship advice to women in horror movies. As like, <laughs> you just finally took control of your life and that's what matters here. Yeah, you had to kill a couple people, but they deserved it. <laughs> Oh, that's what I was neat. How, God, how far into the movie before you see the real Candyman? Quite a ways. And I remember the first time I saw it being bummed out that it was just some, like, a dude gang guy. I was like, aw, he's not mystical at all. Uh, It's just regular (laughs) old violence, and that's boring. Way less fun. Yeah. Uh, We don't meet him until, like, nearly halfway through the film, I think. Yeah, it's a ways Mm -hmm. in. They make you want it. Yeah, they really do. But he also had such a great reveal. I mean, again, because Helen was just like, excuse me, what were you saying? And like, (laughs) taking our sweet time with that. Yeah. But I guess I thought it was neat, too, because it was like when he chose to appear to her. Mm Because it wasn't until like uh, Bernadette gave her the photos Mm -hmm. and the photos had the one of him in it. Yes. That that's why I was just kind of like, oh, it's interesting that he appears now. Like, why didn't now have to be the time that he showed up? Like, she was getting too close Mm-hmm. And that was like part of the problem that people were starting to lose faith in it because I guess it was also they captured the other dude, mm-hmm. in which case he could have just killed someone else. And yeah. like that could have easily have solved this. And like, no, 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 he's still he's still kicking it. He's around. Also, you know, that kind of feeds into the whole uh, societal narrative we have about, oh, no, white women, if they go missing, we care so much. Mm. Fox News is all about it all over it. So like maybe he also knew that kidnapping that particular type of person would cause so much more fear yeah that's the true. whole city do you think it got uh the other dude acquitted of like attacking helen or like because i'm trying to figure out like um like it was like boom boom like or no 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 because she had to heal from the eye situation mm-hmm. she still had that she going. healed really fast and Real really well quick. too i think it was like a day <laughs> Yeah, and when they first showed her with the eye, I was just like, ooh, damn. Like, she is a new person now. Mm -hmm. That's... Get those... uh... (laughs) Um, (laughs) Um, Yeah, but I wasn't sure if that got... Because, like, it completely ruined... Like, you saw, like, the detective that was on Helen's side, like, throughout the whole thing, and, like, Mm -hmm. how they cleared the buildings, and they found the dude for her and everything like that. Yeah. And then when she got... When she came in after the dog death and baby Jeffrey going missing, that he was just like, you understand you're under arrest. Like, he wasn't her friend anymore. No. Yeah, and it kind of... like, oh, you're a murderous piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. That I thought that it almost, like, completely turned on her, that it was just like, maybe they didn't believe this other thing before, and maybe mm. she was, like, trying to get... Like, it just, like, destroyed all of her credibility. And they were also now pinning, like, four deaths on this dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I could see that happening. I mean, there's not much in the film to let you know which way it went, but mm-hmm. probably. Yeah. Also, I felt really bad for Jake because Jake is in a situation where, you know, they all know that he helped Helen and called that in and ultimately got the the gang member Candyman put yeah. in jail. So, like... This does not look good for Jake going back into that community. No. Also, did you think is do you think this is a thing that the gang members do? Like they take turns, like pretending they're they're Candyman to elicit fear or to try to like like use that as an alias to commit certain crimes? Like hmm. I was trying to figure out that it was like because why would he be there protecting like Cabrini or like trying to get Helen to leave under the assumption that he is Candyman? Like they could have just roughed her up as like a gang member. 
Oh, see, I took it as like it was a gang member who adopted that persona, okay. and like I think the tie-in was very like Candyman, drug dealer. You know, it sounded very like okay. Um, like I believe there was a drug dealer named Candyman. Like yeah, 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 it sounds believable, and I think that they roughed her up because like they just don't want strangers in their business, and yeah. they didn't know what she was there for in particular, but you know, because they thought. Original. I think it might stem from the fact that originally that they thought that she was a cop. Yeah. Oh, also the toilet full of bees. Was that real? You know, I don't know. <laughs> it just it seems so odd that bees were brought into this. Like, <laughs> I don't quite get it as a stylistic choice. Yeah. Just, <laughs> I feel like a decomposing man with a hook for a hand is scary enough and yeah, now he's got to be all about bees too yeah there were so many elements of fear that was incorporated into one mythical creature oh uh, yeah i mean you had like weird sexually charged racism as well it is it's a lot going on in this movie <laughs> i was also surprised by like how much i had to unpack after this because i felt like there was a combination mm-hmm. of so much symbolism but then i also couldn't tell if that was so much, or if that was just throwing me off onto yeah, something else. Yeah, it kind of felt like there was a lot of cocaine in that writer's room. And a oh, lot of yeah. big ideas <laughs> happening. <laughs> and not a lot of follow-through. No. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't a bad movie, but it was just, it was, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of big pictures being put out there. Yeah, like, I still feel like there's a cohesive understanding of what that was supposed to actually be. Mm-hmm. Or, like... I feel like, because we all took away something different. But then also to end it on that mural, I feel like they tried to just leave it as simply as like, oh yeah, it was Helen all along. Mm-hmm. Like it could have just been that too. Like it didn't even have to be anything as complicated as like it was in her head or it was a symbolism. and Which is kind of interesting because like that's kind of in a way a metaphor for poverty, poverty itself as like a systematic problem. Huh. And like some people are so afraid of like, the issues that stem from it, but don't look at the actual root causes of the problem. See, it gets even deeper the more we... <laughs> I have done a lot of cocaine today. Though, so, yeah. You're just operating on so many levels. It's just kidding. I know my mom listens to this. No cocaine. Oh, did you want to talk more about like white savior Jane Byrne? Uh, the Chicago mayor that lived in Cabrini Green for like 20 days. Uh, oh my God. Okay. <laughs> I'm honestly not that familiar with her. So it's like, I hear like a lot of different things between her being a badass and her also being awful, which I mean, it's bound to happen. It does sound like a very like white thing to do though, to be like, yeah, I lived in Cabrini. I know it Yeah, for 20 <laughs> days, but yeah, I mean like, and I could go home to my house whenever I wanted. Yeah. So I she, get it. <laughs> so I guess what I thought was neat was that she uh, allegedly, I think like I read an interview with her daughter. That was just kind of like, it definitely wasn't a publicity stunt, but I'm sure it was. But it was oh, just like, why oh my God. Why she do it? <laughs> exactly. Um, one thing that was neat that it was just like, because like, like you always hear like the news and it was, I mean, again, kind of going back to this whole, like there was nothing said about it. So you really didn't know. So it was just like two people were shot in Cabrini Green last night and the Cubs lost again. Like mm-hmm. it was just like what the news was that it sounded like Jane Byrne wanted to do this as a way to try to help improve housing was yeah. to move in there and then be like, like, we need to put more focus on this, and I want to prove that this is a safe place. So she moved in there, but she had police around her 24-7, of course. Like she's always. the fucking mayor. And she's the mayor. <laughs> so going to touch her. What was also crazy is that they I, they welded or they did something where they, like, barred door her back door. So that way nobody could be able to sneak in. Like, it would mm-hmm. only be a front door entrance. Which, when they moved out, they ended up accidentally turning that into, like, a fortified, like, building because that's what other gang members were like, oh, that's a great idea. We know nobody can sneak in that way if we do this and mm-hmm. end up making like these crazy bunkers because of that. Whoa. So it ended up like kind of making some things worse for sure. But yeah, she was there for 20 days. She kept her, she lived in the Gold Coast. Like she had an apartment over there too. Mm-hmm. But one thing that was kind of neat about it that they did say that was like, when you move in there, like, because it did give a bigger police presence, uh, presence, but it also brought more sanitation people. Like, once mm. the mayor was there, that is just like, of course, they're going to take care of that area a little mm-hmm. bit better. So they did, and it did help to some regard. But again, she was there for 20 days. And like, I think some of that had some lasting impact, just of people like kind of taking note. But it also kind of proves, like, there's a huge failure if you're like, I'm going to prove this is so safe. And then mm-hmm. you can't stay more than 20 days. And no. 
So allegedly she always kept a residency or had a place there. And she kept, I mean, she would go back, I'm sure, for events and stuff like that and to make appearances. But Mm -hmm. it did feel very much like that white savior complex of like, I'm going to go there and prove this thing. Mm. It was just like, well, this isn't really for you. This isn't for you. And there are other ways like you could help if you wanted to, or you could be a part of this. But just trying to do this publicity stunt of like, go moving in, maybe if you actually stuck with it and did something for the community, mm-hmm. that would be another thing. Yeah. It feels very, uh, I think it was 1980. <laughs> yeah. It was 1981 when she did that. Hmm. So yeah. Which, A little Chicago history. I did not know. Man, I'm glad, glad to help. Yeah. But <laughs> she also, never mind. She did. Like she was the person that like enabled the dude to climb the Hancock building. Like that was also what she was known for. <laughs> Yeah. I didn't know about that yeah. either. <laughs> it's a rich tapestry of a city we so live in. So much to know about Jane. Um, I'm, I'm sure I'm leaving out, for any listeners of Chicago, I'm sure I'm leaving out plenty of great things she did, so my apologies. But We're not from here. Yeah. <laughs> We're doing what we can. Um, you know, that is one thing that always like surprised me so much about Chicago. Is like one neighborhood, like specifically Cabrini-Green, is in the middle of Gold Coast, and another yuppie neighborhood, and even like... Here with Humboldt Park, it's not the best. So you have Austin, that's a little rough. But then you have Oak Park out of nowhere, and it's all along the same street, North Avenue. Mm. And it's just, it's this idea, like, every five blocks is a totally different world. Yeah, it was crazy. They actually invented the term hypersegregation for Chicago. That sounds accurate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, like, I think you mentioned even earlier, it was really, like, around the train stops that things mm-hmm. really started changing. Because our train system went in in 1892, And when they did that, it was like originally called the Alley L and it was meant to just go through the alleys of different things, which is why like the brown line has so many crazy cuts. That is a, I hate that train line. Oh, it's awful. It's like so jittery. (laughs) But they found out it was a lot easier to just kind of go around buildings and buy the alley space opposed to just buy four, you know, four lots and Mm -hmm. then just make it go straight on through. So it ended up actually changing the landscape of like what neighborhoods actually mattered and which ones were richer just based on like where the trains were able to have stops. Mm. Yeah. A lot changed after the fire too. That was a huge part of it because like Gold Coast was annihilated afterwards and a lot of them moved to Wicker Park, which became the first ward because of that. So yeah, Chicago. God, it's so crazy to know like how different, vastly different it is. And even on like the same block, there'll be three different catholic churches for three different national like the italian catholic mm-hmm. church the like uh the i could name two other ethnicities sorry polish the polish catholic church <laughs> and like uh German. the german catholic church exactly yeah yeah so it'd be like that what blew me away is that wicker park used to be a bad neighborhood oh god yeah it was awful and now it's like yuppie yoga mom central they just walk in the middle of the street with their fucking baby carriages they don't even look <laughs> That's the level of affluence they have. They can deflect cars. That's <laughs> amazing place to be. It's really it's weird too because it was just like the art scene that ended up growing it. Because mm-hmm. it was like the Coyote Building was really largely they they sold it for like break even rents and everything like that. So they What's had the Coyote Building. It's the Northwest Tower, the tallest building outside of downtown. Oh. Yeah, I think it's 13 stories. It's right at the Damon North and Milwaukee intersection. Oh, okay. Yeah, but they they were like world renowned as like a great art gallery, and then start like slowly more yuppies. I think it was like sold in 1981. Fucking yuppies. Yeah, more people just started moving in, thinking it was cool, and then, uh, man, the 90s. That's really when Wicker Park started changing, mm-hmm. like turning over. But man, Chicago history, so yeah. many things. So you have any final thoughts on Candyman? Um, love the movie. Uh, I'm glad if there was any one scary movie that I can watch, it's this one. <laughs> uh, no, I think it's great. I also would like to watch it again in 10 years and see yeah, how should... it's different. In 10 years. 10 we'll years. We'll here. be right back here. <laughs> <laughs> and see how things have changed and what stayed mm-hmm. the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My final thought, I hope Helen and Candyman come back and kill everyone in New City. <laughs> and... <laughs> and burn it down. <laughs> Uh, I yeah. like that we didn't even check out the sequels. Like we could have known. <laughs> <laughs> There's like four. We could we could do that for the next one. Okay. We have a Candyman. Candyman once reunion. a month. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Brittany, what do you got going on? What's coming up for you? Strip Joker. That's my show. That's second Fridays of every month at Uptown Underground. So fun. It's a lot of fun. Feel free to check us out and follow us on all social media at Strip underscore Joker on Instagram. We post all the fun photos of people. 
Um, and I'm also a cast member of the Kates, which is the all-female identified stand-up comedy group in Chicago. So we do shows at Laugh Factory. We have one coming up. And then... Uh, what else? Yeah, uh, I oh, think that's about I it. I think I'm on the one that's coming up. <gasps> Yay! Yeah, I'm on the one February or March 10th. Perfect. Ooh, it's oh. a super fun show. Yes, uh, feel free to come out to it. Get free tickets by saying code word Kate's on the phone to Laugh Factory mm-hmm. if you'd like. Secrets. Yes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, that's been Brittany Meyer. I'm Kristen Ryan, and this has been Bloody Mary. Have a good night. Bye.